it's not often that on Saturday morning I am kind of crafting the message for Sunday morning, but that happened this week uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one is uh, Caleb was supposed to preach, and he's not here. Has anybody seen him? He's actually homesick, but sometimes weeks get like that, right? Best of intentions, you know, the Mike Tyson saying that everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. There are weeks like that. And so, um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm, I've got some alone time, I've got some quiet time, and I'm, I'm trying to put all the pieces together, because I knew this was coming. And so I'm trying to put the pieces together, and I'm listening to the song that we just sang, and I'm reading scriptures that deal with the mercy of God. And it's one of those times where it gets a bit overwhelming. When contemplating the great love of God that has expressed itself in this endless mercy, it just washes over you like a wave and humbles you in such a way. It, it's just, it can be transformative. Some of you may want to do this. You may want to take time out of your life to, to, take your, to get off the social media for a little while, to put down the phone, to uh, maybe turn the TV off. And to actually get quiet and begin to just think about, meditate on, consider the greatness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God toward you. That though, though my sins were many, God's mercy is more. The song we sang this morning, written by Matt Papa, what a cool name, Matt Papa, and Matt Boswell wrote this song that we just sang this morning. And we are wrapping up the, the series of messages that we have done that have been tied to some hymns and some of the newer songs, kind of bringing these together and wrapping it up this morning. And the song that they wrote, His Mercy is More. Now, that's a new song. It doesn't have the same, uh, you know, we don't know it like if we just said, hey, everybody, the, the computer's messed up. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. Most of you would be able to get up and sing Amazing Grace because you know those words. You've sung those words over and over and over again. But I want to tell you, this song itself, the potency and its ties to biblical truth are so strong and so powerful. This, this is on a par with some of the greatest songs that have been ever written as far as the lyrics go. And so this morning, what I wanted to do was to actually journey you through those lyrics one more time, because sometimes you're going, okay, I don't know the tune, I'm trying to catch up, I don't, do I sing here, do I pause here, what is the deal? I, wanna, I want us to journey through those lyrics together this morning for a moment. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them, but let's look at those again, and, and we'll pop those up on the screen for you. The first verse says, what love could remember, no wrongs we have done, omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Now, now, hang on, I want you to understand something here from this, this, th these few words. What it's saying is, omniscient, we have an all-knowing God, and yet he chooses not to remember our sin. Now that, to me, that, that blows me away. I mean, I'm forgetful. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. What's her name? I'm, I'm forgetful. There, she will tell me something, and I, I simply don't remember it, and she accuses me of not listening. Honestly, I think I listened at the time, but I can't remember. 
And so literally she could, if she wanted to, she could tell me, but you said so-and-so, and I'd have no defense because my memory can be so bad that she may be telling the truth and I don't know. So she can paint me into a corner. So I have a, I have a bad memory. But God has a perfect memory, and yet He chooses not to remember your sin. Let that sink in. Thrown our sin, thrown into a sea without bottom, without shore. Our sins, there are many. His mercy is more. Go on to the second verse. It says, what patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home? Imagine picturing yourself, for instance, if you know the story of the prodigal son as he wanders away from home, as he has gone and turned his back on his father, turned his back on his family, turned his back on everything and walked away. We're like that. We wander from God, and yet God patiently waits and He calls us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they're many. But His mercy is more. And then the third verse verse says this, What riches of kindness He lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they're many. His mercy is more. And then the chorus that we sang a couple of times, Praise the Lord. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins are many. His mercy is more. These are some powerful words. I am grateful that God is leading men and women in this generation to write songs that are anchored in the truth of Scripture and that remind us of the greatness of God. So what is this mercy we speak of? What's this mercy all about? Well, I tried to tried to bring it all down for you, and I do want to give you just a touch of the Old Testament, a touch of the New Testament here. But there are three words in the Old Testament that are often translated as mercy. Those three words are, and you don't have to take notes on them, racham, chesed, and chanan. I still haven't got the guttural sound of Hebrew. Uh, never did get that. But what they do is all three of those words come together to refer to one gracious, forgiving, loving God who is forever faithful in reaching out to His people in need. We see them, these three words, put together multiple times in Scripture. It's like putting one magnifying glass on top of a, another magnifying glass. I remember being in, uh, being in my high school biology class and you could flip the lens, right? You're looking at something and, and you don't see much and you can flip the lens and it gets closer and you can flip the lens again and it gets closer. Well, this is what's happening here. This is what's happening in Scripture. We're flipping the lens. And God is piling word upon word upon word to help us to understand His love and His mercy. For instance, it, it occurs in Exodus, in Numbers, in Nehemiah. It recurs three times in the Psalms, once in Joel and once in Jonah. Almost the identical words coming together. God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And all three of those words, I put the, I put the Greek, the, the alliteration, the English uh, way that would be written from the Greek, racham, kana, and hesed, 
altogether. And all three of those words can be translated mercy. That literally, that verse could, could read, God is merciful and merciful. He is, he's merciful and he's merciful and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in mercy. This is the kind of God we worship. And Scripture's trying to, to shout at us, to get our attention, to say, hey, listen, come to stop and think about the incredible mercy of God. And sometimes it takes a song like we just sang to get us to slow down. That becomes a, a speed bump in our lives to get us to slow down and to contemplate the mercy of God. Now, the New Testament has a couple of words that are translated as mercy, but they share the same idea of deep compassion saturated in love, acting in kindness toward those in desperate need. So let me give you, uh, if I can, the kind of the 30,000-foot view of mercy. Mercy is completely immersed in love. In fact, it is a manifestation of love. It is love expressing itself in compassion and care for the needs of others. When we pull all those biblical words together from the Old and New Testament, this is the idea of get, what we get of mercy when it comes to thinking about God. And let me give you an example. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, we read these words. But God, being rich in mercy there's a speed bump for you god being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. And, you know, you may know some rich people. And some of the rich people you may know are misers. You'd never know they were rich. They hardly spend any money at all. They seem to be the, some tight people that you know. They, they've got a lot, but they don't spend anything. But this is not God. God is not a miser. He's not hoarding things. God freely and abundantly and lavishly gives His mercy to any who would receive it. God throws it around like it's, it's inexhaustible because it is. Because where, where does His love come from? Where does His mercy come from? It comes from His love. And His love is infinite. His love has no end. It has no beginning. It has no end. His love, it has no depth to it. You can, God will never run out of it. And therefore, He will never run out of mercy. This is the kind of God we worship. This is the kind of God who is who's reflected here in Ephesians chapter 2, a God who is rich in mercy. So that no matter how bad you have been in your life, His mercy is more. No matter how far you have wandered away from God, His mercy is more. 
This one hit home, gets hits home. No matter how often you've done that same stupid thing over and over and over and over again, His mercy is more. No matter what we've done or who we've been, His mercy is more. And we all let that truth sink in. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, that's a phrase that just pops up in Ephesians 2 over and over. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, that truth should bring you comfort. It should bring you peace. It should bring you hope. It should fill you with joy. Because you have a God whose mercy is greater than your sin. And if you're not in Christ Jesus... Here in a few minutes, we're going to give you an opportunity to come and discover the mercy of God. God delights in pouring out His mercy on those who come to Him. God, God, it, it, it won't run out. And you can't sit there and think, well, I'm too bad. I've done too much stuff. You people just don't know about my life. God knows. And here's the truth. His mercy is more. And today, you can come and discover the mercy of God for your own life. And I thought about saying, okay, let's just end the service right there. But I couldn't do that. Because to those who have been given mercy, God has something He wants us to do. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open to James chapter 2. We're going to look at just a few verses there. James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. We did print this verse in your handout, and it will be up on the screen for you, just in case you can't find it. James is in the New Testament. You need to come past the Gospels, go on past the letters of Paul. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Kick it in reverse. You'll find it. James chapter 2. We're going to look at just a few verses, like I say, verses 8 through 13. And I'd encourage you, James is not a long book. It'd be a wonderful book for you to read maybe this afternoon if you get a little downtown. And this is what James writes. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing a sin and are convinced and are convicted, excuse me, by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all. He's warning people here of sitting in judgment of other people, thinking, hey, uh, because I've only messed up once and they've messed up four times, I'm somehow better than they are. And I, you know, it's, it, it's just, he's saying, hey, don't be partial, don't sit like this in judgment over people. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you still become a transgressor of the law. So, and listen to this, so speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And what James is trying to say is, it doesn't matter who you are sitting in this place this morning. doesn't matter. 
Doesn't matter what you've done sitting in this place this morning. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how long it was that you wandered and, and went from God. It doesn't matter. Why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His mercy is enough. His mercy is more. And God is giving us a reminder. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who have been shown mercy, we are to be the people who are quick to show mercy. Do you get that? Those of us who've received mercy, who've come to understand that I am a sinner, I am forgiven, and I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it, God gave it to me, God was merciful to me, He brought me into His life. I was thinking the other day, I was reading an article about someone who, would, who had been knighted by the queen. And I was thinking, man, that'd be cool. Uh, I've seen it, how, how they've done it. It's not like they show in the movies, but I've seen it, how they do it, and they, and they, they literally have the sword. Doom. You know, put the sword on each shoulder. Rise, sir, so-and-so-and-so. Okay, I'm thinking, man, that'd be cool. But let me tell you what's happened to me that's cooler than that. I was a dead corpse in my sin. And because of the mercy of God, I'm not a knight. I am a child of God. That's way cooler than being a knight. I am a child of God, and I didn't deserve it. As a matter of fact, there's no one here sitting here who can say, you know what, I deserve to be a child of God. God deserved to take me in. No, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were separated from God. You were, in fact, the Scripture tells us, an enemy of God before you came to Christ. But because of God's great love, and it's endless mercy. You have now become a child of God. Now, if you can accept that, then it comes back on you to ask, if God's love did that for me, what does His love in me, how should that look toward other people? You go, well, wait a minute. What if they don't deserve it? We know those people, don't we? Don't call them by name. But you know those people who don't deserve it. Those people who have kind of taken advantage of you from time to time, who've told you one thing and you come to find out mm, they're not true. What about them? They don't deserve it. Should I show mercy to them? If you're going to ask that question, you need to ask another one along with it, and that is, did I deserve it that puts it in a completely different light so if we are called to show mercy what then does that mercy look like and i want to i want to tell you it looks a lot like jesus and if if you've got a few moments let me well you're not going anywhere uh, don't go anywhere luke chapter 6 i want to share with you I want to share with you some words of Jesus that if they don't rattle your cage, you're probably asleep. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27, he says, But I say 
to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away, uh, from your, takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who lend, excuse me, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That was us. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And then He goes on to say in verse 36, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. When I read this, one word comes to mind. No. That hit anybody else? I don't like this, Jesus. Can we go to maybe another part of the Scripture and read something else? Sounds a little easier, a little better for me. This, I don't know about this. This sounds risky. This sounds messy. This sounds costly. This is going to hurt my feelings. I know it going in. And what does Jesus say? Be merciful. Just as your Father is merciful. Take your cue from Him. Don't take your cue from your pastor because he's just a guy. Don't take your cue from your husband or your wife. They're just a person. Don't take your cue from your parent. They're just a person. Don't take your cue from a president or a prime minister or a governor or a leader. They're just, they're people. If you're going to emulate somebody, if you're going to follow someone's example, then the example you need to follow is to follow the example of your father. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. And so you ask the question, how much mercy do I want from God? All of it. Right? I want all of it. I want enough mercy that it covers up everything I've ever done, everything I've ever thought, everything I've ever said, every mistake I've made, every sin I've committed, every time that it's not been overt, but it's been secret. And nobody knew me and God. 
How much mercy do I really want from God? I want all of it. I don't want him holding anything back when it comes to me and my sin, when it comes to me and my mistakes, when it comes to me and my rebellion. I don't want God holding out on me. Do you want God holding out on you? God, I want all of it. Now you turn the question around. How much mercy should I then give? What did Jesus say? Be merciful. As your Father in heaven is merciful. Whether you like it or not. Whether you deserve it or not. Because quite frankly, you didn't deserve it in the first place. Now does that mean that Does that mean there's never any discernment that we need to use? There's never a time where, you know, my grandmother used to say, well, you made your bed, you got to sleep in it. In other words, what she was saying was, you did this, and there's certain consequences that follow. So I'm not saying that we need to become codependent with people, and we need to constantly rescue people, And because sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is to allow people to face the consequences of their decisions so that they can learn and grow. I'm not saying that, so, so please don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is we need some wisdom that is beyond ourselves. We need a wisdom that is from above if, when, we come, when it comes to making those decisions. And when we have to ask for justice rather than giving mercy, it should be hard. Love should make it hard. I often go and I find how other people have wrestled with issues that I wrestle with. And, and one of the guys that I often go to is, is John Piper, who's formerly the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church up in Minnesota. And, and he actually addresses this issue and this, this tension. He says this, How shall we know when to do justice and how to show mercy? By getting close, as close to Jesus as you possibly can. I know of no hard and fast rules in scriptures to dictate every situation. And I don't think this is an accident. I want you to get this. The aim of scripture is to produce a certain kind of person, not to provide an exhaustive list for every situation. In other words, God wants to change you to be more like him so that you can respond to situations more as he would. And the only way, Piper says, that that can happen is getting as close to him as you can possibly get so that his love wears off on you and his wisdom wears off on you. And he goes on to finish this. The Beatitude says, blessed are the merciful, not blessed are those who know exactly when and how to show mercy in all circumstances. If we become merciful, full of mercy, then we will know how and when to respond. Is it risky? You better believe it. Is it messy? Yes. Is it costly? Absolutely. 
might you be taken advantage of? There ain't no might about it. When you become a merciful person, I promise you, people are going to take advantage of you. Might you make mistakes and be too merciful at times? Or might you make mistakes and not be merciful enough? Yes, it's going to happen. You're not perfect. You're not there yet. I'm reading a, a book by Bob Goff. I'm actually listening to it. I've listened to it once. I've got to listen to it again. Called Everybody Always. It's a great book. Really a powerful book. If you haven't, haven't encountered that yet, please encounter that. But what he says, and I love this. He says here in this life, he said, we are just rough drafts of the people we're becoming. God doesn't expect that you will do it perfectly. He simply wants you to be more like Him each and every day. And my encouragement to you as your pastor and as someone who struggles with this just like you do is get as close to the God of mercy as you possibly can. And always, always, always not only ask for His mercy, but seek His wisdom. We are called to use good judgment. But you and I are never called to be judge. When it comes down to our daily living, to our daily choices, fall back here. Here's your fallback position. If you, got, if you don't know what to do, here's your fallback position. Be merciful. Even as your Father is merciful. Let's pray. Father, we didn't want to hear this. Oh, we like the first part. <laughs> we like the idea of you showing mercy to us. We love that. And Lord, I do thank you that we can find comfort and peace and joy and hope in the fact that you are a merciful God and that so many of us in this room have come to discover that mercy in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for those this morning who need that mercy, who need that relationship with Christ Jesus, who need to find your love poured out on them through the cross. Lord, if I ask that you would just draw them to yourself this morning, that they might come and experience that mercy in all its fullness and be set free. For those who've known that mercy, but, but Lord, have, have kind of wandered off, taken it for granted, forgotten about it, gone and done their own thing, and they want a new start, a new beginning, a, for this to be a new day for them. Lord, I thank you that your word says that your mercy is new every single morning. We get resubscribed to it every single day. You never run out of it, God. You're a God who is rich in mercy, and you throw it around freely to all who will receive it. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today who's been wandering, someone who's been straying, someone who's been living in rebellion, someone who's rejected you, someone who's turned their back on you, walked away even though they knew you were Savior. They knew Jesus died for their sins on the cross, but today, Lord, they can say, hey, listen, I know I have been living in rebellion, and I need to come back and have that mercy poured out on me. Father, I pray today will be their day. And Lord, I pray for those of us who struggle, show Him mercy. 
remind us that we're not the judge. That we truly don't know it all. That we, just like that person that we're tempted to condemn or push aside or mistreat or brush off. We're traveling the same road they are. We are frail creatures of dust. Desperate need of mercy. Teach us, Lord. Teach us how to be merciful just as you're merciful. For this is our prayer. In the powerful name of Jesus, your perfect example.